Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome back to another volume of Truly Disturbing Tales from Reddit. Today we're going to be narrating three new unsettling stories taken directly from the platform. I encourage you all to sit back, grab a snack, and enjoy these terrifying personal accounts. Now, without any further delay, let's jump right in. The story that I'm about to share took place about five years back when I was still in my senior year of high school. At the time, my mother and I called Southern California home, and although that has since changed, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up every time I think about this particular evening. It was fairly late, maybe 8.30 or 9 p.m., We had just walked through the door after a long day of driving and visiting family, but before either one of us could settle in and get comfy at home, we realized that our cat had no food left in the house. We were both utterly exhausted from the day, so the idea of trekking off to Petco for Meow Mix was a bit of a nightmare in my book. While I really didn't want to go, my mother all but pleaded with me to make the trip with her. And after having my arm thoroughly twisted through parental guilt, I gave in. While I was stewing in my own wants to stay home and play Xbox, I had no idea then just how thankful I would be that I ultimately took the drive with my mom. A little more groundwork for the story. My mom drove a 2012 Honda Accord at the time. It was an economical gas-saving car for my single mom, but she loved that thing. She had personalized floor mats, a nice sound system, and windows tinted so dark that it kind of felt like you were riding in a limo sometimes. I always loved the base of the subs in the back, but looking back, that tint might have been the sweetest addition to that car. We pulled into the Petco parking lot, where there were only a small handful of other cars spread around the lot. A few right in front of the store, a few more towards the very back of the lot but only ours seemed to take up the ground in between. My mom knew I wasn't thrilled to be on this journey, so she suggested that I waited in the car while she ran in and quickly grabbed the cat food. I agreed because I didn't really want to go in anyway. She hops out of the car and hustles into the store. But as she does, one of the cars that was parked near the rear of the lot pulled up a few rows and parked in the spot one space over from ours, on the passenger side. I remember thinking that that was a bit odd, but as the man in the driver's seat got out, he quickly retrieved his large German Shepherd from the back seat. At that point, I just thought that he was trying to get closer to the store so he wouldn't have to lug his big pooch the length of the lot. But there were so many other spots that he could have taken. Why the spot right next to us? 
The man and his dog head into the store as well, but only about as far in as the first set of displays. Dude seemed like he looked at the same end cap of dog treats and shoes for five or six minutes. He only moved away from that stand when he saw my mom coming down the nearest aisle. He jumped into the checkout line right in front of her. Once he was done paying, he stationed himself basically right outside the automatic doors of the store, but positioned slightly to the side so he could glance back in at my mom while she paid. Once she exited the store, that's when he turned and followed her towards the cars. My mom gets to the trunk, pops it, and begins to throw the two bags in her arms inside. When the dude next to us does the same. But as he pops open his trunk, I hear him speak to my mom. I can't hear exactly what he's saying from inside the car, but I hear him say something. And my mom then responds. As I look out the window, it looks like he's speaking to her while gesturing towards something in the back of his car. My mom is oblivious to the scene that I've been watching unfold, and she starts to take a few steps towards this weird guy. As she does, I swear I see him begin to lunge forward towards her. Before I can even think, I fling the door open and erupt in the most frantic parental voice that I've ever had to use on my own parent screaming at her to get her back into the car. I don't know who I startled more, my mom or the creep, because while my mom looked back at me with an annoyed look of bewilderment on her face, the creep practically jumped a foot off the ground. Once I popped out on them, the guy slammed his trunk and hastily said, never mind, before beelining for his driver's side door and pulling off without so much as looking at me. I can only assume that when dude pulled up next to us, he didn't see me in the passenger seat due to the dark tints. So when I began to yell, it caught him way off guard that there was someone else in the mix. Once my mom got in the car, I asked her what he was saying to her and why she would walk towards this guy. She said that the stranger had made some comment about something he had just gotten for his dog and invited her over to take a look at it. At that point, I told her everything that I saw, how he pulled up next to us the moment that she went inside, how it seemed like he was watching her, and even how he lingered while waiting for her to pay. I am convinced that whoever that guy was, he was going to attempt to abduct my mother that evening. Telling the story still causes me to feel my heart in my throat, because I truly feel that had I not been there that night, I may never have seen my mom again. This happened when I was around 17 years old and is still happening today. At 17, I felt lost in the world and stuck in a job that I disliked with work colleagues that disliked me. I think that this had to do with my accent as I was quite well-spoken, so they had this idea that I was some rich, snobby kid. It all started on a Friday after work. The factory I worked in had a half day on Fridays, so I would just spend the rest of the day wandering around the city that I lived in. It had been a tough day of relentless mocking, and I was reaching my breaking point. 
I went around the city looking for a new job. I visited the police recruitment center, the army, navy, and air force centers, and even the International Red Cross. I just wanted to get away from it all. After a few hours, I had a bag full of career pamphlets and still no idea what to do with my life. I turned a corner and immediately saw a sign sitting right in front of me. I can remember it so vividly now. It said, free personality test. Are you curious about yourself? Come in. I then looked up at the building and on a big, fancy sign outside, it said, The Church of Scientology. Now, before I continue, yes, I already knew about Scientology, but I had a morbid curiosity about it. I had heard all the horror stories and goings-on inside the church, but Tom Cruise was my favorite actor, and he seemed to have his life sorted out pretty well. I feel now that those were some famous last thoughts right there. So I went inside. I was immediately greeted by a very nice lady. She asked me how I was doing and what she could do for me today. I asked if I could speak to somebody about the church and the personality test. She smiled and said, I would be happy to. Please take a seat and I'll get you someone to speak to. After a moment, I was introduced to an older man named Alan and he was the head of my city's Scientology center. Alan took me to a small room to speak privately. When we entered, I immediately noticed a large picture of L. Ron Hubbard on the wall. We sat down and had a friendly chat. I told him about how I was unhappy about where my life was going. I told him about how I wanted to leave, plus all the trouble that I was having at work. He seemed genuinely concerned for me, and I felt as if he wanted to help. After a while of talking, I agreed to do the personality test. He gave me the test and left the room saying to give the test to the receptionist after I had finished. Two hours later, I was done. Not joking, that's really how long it took. It was about 500 questions about anything and everything. I handed it in to the receptionist and she told me it would take some time to process. In the meantime, Alan had told her to take me to their private cinema and show me a film. I thought it was just going to be some old room in the back with a TV on the wall, but no. They did indeed have a private cinema. It could seat around 50 people and had a large screen in the front. It did feel a bit weird just being there by myself, in a cinema owned by Scientology. But I bet that hasn't happened to many people. Or maybe it has. Anyway, I sat down and they played me the film. It was about 30 minutes long and consisted of a narrator explaining those strange feelings you sometimes get, with some mediocre acting following along. I remember a section about how much you doubt yourself, knowing you have a locked door, but going back to check multiple times. At one point, the film showed how a past event that happened to your mother while she was pregnant with you could affect your life in a negative way. Example, your mother was sick on a flight, so now you're scared of flying. I also vaguely remember something about rotten eggs and how much an event involving them can hurt you. 
I know it sounds absurd, but in some ways, the film really made sense to me. When the movie was done, I was taken to Alan's office and he told me my results. He told me that I was extremely depressed, one of the most unmotivated people he had ever met, lacking cognitive thinking, and I was a waste of talent. Now, this made me very upset, but Alan said that he could help me. He gave me about four books and a DVD. He told me to read the books and watch the film before my course. I asked, what course? And Alan told me he had signed me up to do a course at the center. He convinced me that if I didn't do this course, that my life would soon spiral out of control. In addition to that, he made me hand over quite a bit of money for the course and said I would receive an email about the course, which was in a month's time. I left the center, ran home, and immediately started reading the books that I was given. This happened all over the weekend. I had basically locked myself in my room and did nothing but read and reread those books and watch the DVD over and over again. Over the next week, I began taking notes about myself and my family. I emailed Alan with questions and concerns. I started resenting my mother for my life. I began to think that she was the problem, that everything bad that happened to me was the result of her. And I started treating her badly, swearing at her, and did the best that I could to ignore her. When I emailed Alan about my mother, he told me that if she was the catalyst for my problems, then maybe I should consider disconnecting from her. And I took that bullshit seriously. I made plans to totally leave her out of my life. A week before my course, I developed some kind of God complex towards everyone around me. What I read in those books told me what I could become. I saw everyone in my family as below me. I really became a truly spiteful person. Just days before my course, I was confronted by both my mother and father. They said they were concerned about me and that they had searched my room. My dad took out all of my Scientology books and the DVD. I was outraged. I screamed and swore at them. I said horrible things to them. I told them about how I was going to leave them and how I never wanted to see them again. Hours of arguing back and forth, tears and swears. However, in the end, they did convince me that the church was a bad place. They said, if I was so miserable at work, I should have told them. And that, that's true. To this day, I can't believe I didn't say anything to them. Instead, I went to the Church of Scientology. That night, after the arguing had stopped, they sat me down and did their best to comfort me. I really couldn't believe it. After the way I had treated them for the past month, they still cared about me. The next day, I emailed Alan and told him I wouldn't be coming back to the church. He quickly got back to me asking why, asking if it was my family and if I was being forced to not go. I didn't respond. I ignored him. The emails I received in the next few weeks were mad. Alan told me stuff like I should leave my family now and that I could stay at the church. 
He tried to convince me that it was all because of my mother. He even emailed me to say something along the lines of, he wouldn't be surprised if he read in the papers that I had ended it all by my own hand. I'm very sure that he crossed a line there, but I just kept ignoring him. The strangest email that I got was one in all binary code. 00110-1011 this and 10010101110 that. I used a binary code translator, but it all came back as mixed up letters and numbers. None of it made sense. After weeks of this, I eventually blocked Alan. However, it still hasn't stopped. About two or three times a year, I'll get an email from the church. It's either asking how I am or asking about my family. When I get them, I immediately block the email address, but they just keep coming. It's always someone new saying they heard about my case and they were worried about me. The whole reason I'm sharing this is because I just got another email the other day and I thought that it would make a good warning. Please, I beg of you, do not go to a Church of Scientology center. If they can turn me into a spiteful degenerate in just a few hours, then what can they do with a person in a few months or a year? If anyone has an idea of how to block an entire religion slash cult from my email, please let me know. And if you're lost in life, sad, or upset, then please talk to your family, friends, or a doctor. When you're down, don't let others make you into a monster. Take it from me. After this event, I got help, and I find that I'm a much more happy and confident person now. I thank you for listening, and Alan, if you're on the other end of this, you made me into a monster. So for your sake, I hope we don't meet again. For a little context, this happened back in 2001, pretty much right after 9-11. I'm a female, and I was 24 years old at the time, driving by myself across country to get to my son who was with my ex. I had been out of state, taking care of a sick family member. So I'm on the drive, middle of the night, going through New Mexico. I can't remember the route. But I was on a two-lane highway, and while I can remember seeing cars going the opposite way in fairly short intervals, this was not a densely populated highway by any means. But after a relatively quiet, several-hour stretch of driving down this worn road, I glance up in my rear view and see the unmistakable glow of blue and red lights coming up on me. When you see cop lights in your mirror, all sorts of emotions present themselves. For me that night, a feeling of annoyance because I know that I wasn't speeding or anything of that sort. An exhaustion, as I think I was about nine hours into my trip, and I was maybe five miles away from the exit for the hotel that I had planned on stopping at for the night. But I know the expectation, so I pulled over towards the shoulder as the lights get closer and closer to my brake lights. As the cop car pulls off as well, they flip the flashing lights off. And before I know it, 
there's a cop at my driver's side window, standing there in anticipation, waiting for me to roll it down. Now this, off the bat, seemed a little off. When I'd been pulled over in the past on a stretch of road that has traffic flying down it, the cops would usually come up on the passenger side. And although it was late, there were still vehicles driving well over 60 miles per hour down this particular road. He asked for driver's license and registration, which I hand over without incident. Yet, he stood at my window and stared at me for a good 15 seconds before walking back to his car. He returned almost immediately, and that's when he asked me to step outside of the car. That was about the point where I started to get worried. I've gotten tickets before, but being asked to step out of the car was far from the norm for me. I did it though, at which point he asked me if I'd been drinking. I replied that I had not been drinking and quickly asked why I was being stopped in the first place. He said that I was driving erratically, which I knew for a fact was not true. He then flat out asked me if I was a terrorist. I was taken aback by the sheer absurdity of the question, because while I know that terrorists can come in all shapes and sizes, I was young, blonde, blue-eyed, and a veteran with completely valid ID. There was no reason to even ask such a thing. He gave me the walk-the-line drunk driving test, which I passed. He then said that he needed to search my car to see if I had any drugs on me. I thought about this for a minute because I'm aware of my rights and all, but it was so late, I was tired and alone. I just didn't want to deal with the BS of refusing. So I gave him the okay because I knew I didn't have anything in the car. When he got to my trunk, he opened up a small suitcase that happened to have my work clothes in it. Side note, I was an exotic dancer at the time, so you can imagine what I mean when I say work clothes. He asked me about the clothing. I told him that I was a stripper. This admission seemed to really set him off. He began screaming at me about being a trash person. And this absolutely pissed me off and caused me to re-examine the situation with a little bit more depth. Again, tired and alone with this weird guy who appears to be a cop. Every once in a while a car would drive by, but for the most part, the roads were empty. Middle of the night, and I didn't have anything to protect myself versus this guy that had a gun. He told me then that I needed to walk back towards the tree line that was near the road. I stared him dead in the face and said, no. I demanded that he call for backup, more officers, his supervisor to come. This was something that he was visibly thrown off by. I said that I wanted a female officer and I would no longer be complying with anything that he said and then I began trying to flag down the few cars passing by at that moment. He told me to calm down, and at this point, he wrote out a speeding ticket and let me go. I opted not to move my vehicle before he took off. I didn't want him seeing where I was going. But it was when he pulled off into the night that I got another bit of a shock. The car that he was in, while it looked like a cop car, it had zero identifying marks of one. 
No state or county insignia. No lights on the top of the car. And that's when a feeling of dread swept over my entire being. I pretty much floored it to the hotel. And once I was checked in, that's when all the emotions came pouring out. I never paid that speeding ticket and never heard a word about it either. This happened more than 20 years ago, and at the time, I was really shaken up about it. So much so that I pushed it far down and did my best to forget all about it. But looking back now, I don't believe that was a real cop that stopped me on that lonely highway that night. I think that the only thing that kept me from something bad happening was the pushing back against what he was asking me to do. The moment that I was no longer an easy target, he gave up. Something that I thank myself for every time this memory comes out. I'm glad to say that listening to my gut likely kept me out of something much, much worse. So I implore others to do the same. Listen to your gut. If something feels off, it's because it is.